The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The AFC West is both incredibly easy to predict and incredibly hard at the same time. It's very easy because until further notice, you know, KC, top of the division. They're the king. They're on top of the mountain. It's incredibly hard because if I had to pick which other AFC West team was going to knock them off, I don't really know who to who to go with. Uh, I mean, I like to think the Chargers have the best chance. It would certainly make my 2023 season a lot more interesting if they did. But can we really discount the Broncos? Can we really discount the Raiders pulling something out of their ass this year? I think not. It's a really, really tough division. It's a fun one, and it's cause for celebration for us, too, because this marks the halfway point in this series. Mercifully, thank God. Mercifully. So we are we are celebrating today, talking about the Kings of the Mountain mm. and the, uh, you know, potential uh, challengers to the throne. And I think it's going to make for a good day. So we have a lot to go over today. We're predicting division winner. Spoiler alert, it's the Chiefs. Uh, but beyond that, we're also predicting defensive player of the year in the conference. We're predicting offensive player of the year, coach of the year, uh, favorite rookies, favorite free agent pickups across the entire division. Uh, we're basically picking everything and predicting everything about the AFC West. So uh, even if you're not a Chiefs fan, there's still a lot to listen for. So, Jay, roll the intro. Wonderful pick that I brought back from Pittsburgh last week uh, from a, a distillery in Pittsburgh called Weigel. And they have just a huge selection. Like, I could only bring back two bottles, but there were 14 of, like, different, uh, you know, finishes, different grains, different everything. This is the Madeira cask finish bourbon. Uh, I also brought back one that was finished in, um, uh, like, Highland Scotch casks so it's like a smoky bourbon it's it's ridiculous i'll have you try that on like another show this series it's ridiculous they're a great distillery so i know that pittsburgh has nothing to do with the afc west but we had to break out these bottles uh it's really good stuff and weigel if you're watching please uh distribute to the west coast because i would like to get more thank you very much uh all right ej afc west was a good division last year yep. had two playoff teams mm -hmm. And yet they still ended up as a massive disappointment for a lot of people because the two other teams that didn't go to the playoffs ended up probably a combined 12 wins less than what we expected from them. This is partly our fault. 
for believing in all of them. Yes. We spent this series last year, the entire series, hyping up this division. In fact, this was the last division we got to on purpose. We said this was going to be the giant monster division. We predicted great things. And the air went out of the balloon pretty quickly. In fact, we started to see the air go out of the balloon week one when uh, we went to the Broncos Seahawks game in Seattle. And they didn't just wipe the floor with the Seahawks. And we went, huh, okay. At the time, we were like, oh, maybe Seattle was just playing inspired football. And they it's rose week to the one occasion. No, no. No, it didn't bad. turn out that way. <laughs> Overall, it was still a good division. In 2022, as you said, two playoff teams, the Chiefs and the Chargers. Chiefs went 14-3, and three, went on to win the Super Bowl. Chargers were 10-7, and seven, also made the playoffs. Raiders fell flat in a lot of ways, ended up at 6-11. and 11, And the Broncos... Well chronicled, fall from grace, 5-12. and 12. So, any late season surge teams? Well, Casey, as we talked about yesterday, steamrolled to the playoffs, 5-0. and 0, And the Chargers, we talked about it in their episode as well. They were 4-1 and 1 in their last five to make a strong push into the playoffs. The sort of haves and have-nots is the way this division ended up, and that's not the way we saw it. We saw it as a much more sort of even rough and tumble beat each other up division at the beginning of the year by the end of the year it was casey and the chargers up here and the raiders and the broncos sort of bringing up the rear and the i mean the raiders lost for reasons that were very different than the broncos the broncos a had a dud of a head coach that did not work out got fired midseason. uh luckily replaced him with a hall of fame coach and sean payton but uh, Denver was also the most injured team in the league in terms of games lost by starting players. It wasn't even close. Uh, and the Raiders were fascinating, and they themselves were also dealing with injuries. Um, you know, especially, uh, you know, Waller, uh, Renfro got banged up. There were offensive line injuries. Like There, there was a lot going on there. Uh, but also the Raiders managed to set an NFL record for number of second-half leads of seven-plus points blown in a season with five. So, you know, just looking at their record alone, let's say they won those five games. All of a sudden they go from six and 11 to 11 and six. (laughs) So, you know, a little bit more in line with what we expected from them. Mm. And even then, I think one of those losses was to the Chiefs, if I recall correctly, the Monday nighter, if I if I recall correctly. But. Yeah, they just couldn't get out of their own way. Uh, the Broncos couldn't stay healthy. I mean, even the Chargers couldn't stay healthy, but still they managed to win a bunch of games and make the playoffs. Um, it just felt like the Chiefs were the one team in this division that were able to endure through even their own issues. And the Chiefs were not perfect. They had their own issues. But they were able to endure through it uh, and and come out not just as division winners, but Super Bowl winners. Yeah, on top of the entire league. So the bootleg power scores, we gave individual power scores to all these teams in the individual episodes. And if you want to see how the math worked out and how we came up with those numbers, go back and check out those episodes. But we also do a power score for a division where we take all those power scores for the teams and we just straight up add them together. Still golf rules. You're still looking for the lowest score possible. In this particular division, Chiefs' power score was 10, Chargers was 18, Raiders was 20, and the Broncos was 18. If you add all those four up, they come out to 66, which puts them right in the middle of the divisions. And speaking of being right in the middle, we're right in the middle of the series, and we realize that power score is a new number for both teams and divisions. So we're going to take this opportunity and reveal all the teams 
that we have talked about so far and where their power scores stack in terms of the whole league. So we're going to show you 16 teams and where their power scores rank overall and then leave the open spaces and let you guess who's going to fill those in in the second half of the series. Yeah, and I, I realized as we were kind of going through and proofing some of the episodes that uh, I mean, both of us made this mistake, but mm-hmm. especially me, uh, of misspeaking about the the rounded power score numbers being a ranking. No, the rounded power score numbers are the rounded power score numbers. Like I think um, when I was watching the Ravens episode this morning, as of the day of us recording this, it's the day the Ravens episode got released. Um, and I, I think I said the Ravens were 12th in power score. What I meant was that the Ravens rounded power score was, was 12. 12. Their flat score uh, was 12-1, but if we're stacking the raw scores, as you can see in this graphic with all the teams that we've revealed so far, uh, they were the seventh highest in the NFL. So again, there's raw score, rounded score, and you know, I guess we can just call it a ranked, yep. uh, a ranked spot. And let's see, what is it? One, two, three, four, five of the top 10 teams in the NFL through the halfway point of this series have now been revealed in terms of their ranked raw score. Number one is maybe not who a lot of people expected. Uh, number three is, and when we, when we get to them, will definitely be who people expected. Number four, I can almost guarantee you, people are not going to guess that one. Um, and I would argue number eight and number nine is also going to be a big shock to a lot of people. So that's kind of why we do it is, you know, sometimes uh, these power scores, which are derived completely from EPA, it's not just us arbitrarily assigning numbers. It's it's from EPA, which is like the the granddaddy of all NFL metrics, right? Uh, in various categories, um, it, these numbers do a pretty good job of explaining that sometimes win loss totals don't do a good enough job of explaining how good or bad or mid a team really is. Yeah, for overall rank, the second best in terms of power score team has been revealed. It's the 49ers. They had a rounded power score of six. They also had a raw power score of six. They came out with 13 wins, and we put wins in this graphic that you're seeing as well so that you can see how power score relates to wins because, in general, it did a really good job of basically being linked to that. Teams with more wins had a lower power score, which is ideally what it's for. There are outliers. Like the Vikings, who we talked about, they are 15th overall in the NFL. 18 is their power score. 17 and a half was the raw. They had 13 wins. As you can see, as you go down the wins column, that's an outlier. Teams, Other teams with that many wins were up in the top six mm-hmm. overall for stack power scores. And that actually lines up with the way that we talked about the Vikings last year as a team that was overachieving for what it actually was. So power score turns out to be a fairly true measure of what that team was in terms of a football team, whereas the win number that a lot of their fans were leaning on throughout the year and saying, ah, but they're a 10-win team. They got to be really good. They're a 12-win team. They got to be excellent. In terms of the things you need to do to be good to be a football team, power score, I think, is a more accurate representation of the Vikings 2022 season than their win total was. So there were nine. If I re, yeah, if I read this correctly, there were nine total teams in the NFL that had double digit plus wins. Uh, the top seven teams in power score were seven of those nine double digit win teams. The only two double digit win teams that were not in the top seven in power score 
or rather had the lowest power scores, uh, were the Vikings and, somewhat predictably, the Chargers. Uh, and and so I do feel like this system does do a pretty good job of, of stacking teams for what they actually were uh, and maybe what they actually are going forward as well. And again, if you stick around through the rest of the series, you'll see how a lot of the other uh, teams, both playoff and not playoff, and how they stacked up against the best in the NFL. I promise you, I'm looking at the ninth-ranked team right now, which has not been revealed. I promise you nobody's going to guess who that one is just because of the perception of what that team is. And that's why I love this. Yeah, that's why I love this as well. Is it's It feels like a metric that uh, we've created that cuts through some of the noise that can be you know fluky wins or fluky losses. There are teams like that too that had uh, a very strong power score and a low win number. Uh, but stick with us for the second half of the season. We hope it clears it up some because we certainly are to blame for making it a little bit more confusing uh, through the early weeks. We hope this cleans it up for you, but three of the top five are still to be revealed. Um, you know, four of the top 10 still to be revealed. Uh, we have big chunks in you know, 12 through 14, and you can kind of guess, you can decide if your team, if we haven't covered your team yet, where you think they might rank on this scale. Uh, but we also want to talk about the divisions because then we take all those scores in a division and we add them up again. We're going to talk about the four divisions that we've already been through since we're through half of the league and the second overall division, the fourth, the fifth, and the seventh have been revealed. So AFC North has a power score of 55, combined win total of 38. Mm -hmm. That puts them in second place for right now. You can, again, guess which division of the four remaining ones took the top spot. Uh, but interestingly enough, in terms of power score being possibly more representative than the win total, uh, the seventh-ranked division was the NFC North has a 77 power score but they won 33 games, which is more than the fifth-ranked division. I feel like that's just both of these, both the individual <laughs> team scores and the division scores, the Vikings stick out like a sore thumb, right? Yes, they do. Because it's it's like a four-game inflation versus what you would expect. And like you go back and you look at games like the Bills game where you're like, that that's actual divine intervention to win that fucking game except it happened four times. <laughs> like They were an amazing story and an amazing team last year for a variety of reasons, but boy, they were punched above their weight. That's for darn sure. Yeah, they were an anomaly in the win category, and this is one way to sort of say, how was that? How was that not supported by the other numbers? But again, stick with us for the second half of the series. We still have the number one overall division, the number three overall division, and of course, whoever brought up the basement. Who's, oh, we know who brought who's, up the basement. Who's gonna who be always last? brings up the basement, EJ? <laughs> Good old AFC South. God love us. Oh, there's our spoiler. But The yep. plucky underdogs. The plucky <laughs> underdogs. We hope that gives you a reference halfway through this series of, of how power scores stacking up. We're both really happy about it. We feel it's really truly a good measure of how good a football team is at playing football. Um, we're certainly going to make some adjustments to it next year and use it again. And we're going to do it earlier. We're going to do it right after the season ends when all those numbers are finally available because it helps inform the draft strategy, uh, the individual scores when you're looking at how they were. You know, EPA, for example, rush defense is something that's come up over and over again. Guess who that? Guess who those teams drafted? Defensive tackles, 
run setting edges. It, it defined their strategy and that went for offense as well. So we're going to do these numbers even earlier next year because they're, I think, a good predictive tool for what a team is most likely to try and patch in free agency in the draft. 100%. 100%. It's just, it's a great overview. Uh, speaking of patching holes, let's flip over to free agent additions for the AFC West. Uh, you know, throwing a bunch of names on screen for notable additions for each team, but EJ and I each have one that we wanted to highlight. Um, I'm going to go with Charles Amenahu, and Amenahu is, is somebody who I've followed closely ever since he was a fifth-round pick with the Texans. Uh, thought he was very underdrafted even back then as like a hybrid inside-outside guy. Um, you know, never was... Uh, fast enough to be a full-time edge, was never big enough to be a full-time defensive tackle, but as somebody who would generally get 40 to 50% of the snaps and be somebody who was quick enough to give guards problems as a pass rusher and also was big enough to give tackles problems on first and second down, he was always just this really interesting hybrid rotational guy that, uh, especially once he went to the 49ers, and got with Chris Kasurik, they found a lot of really fun ways to use him, especially on third downs. He's always been uh, kind of a key cog in a rotation as somebody with a very unique skill set, very good football player. Uh, and I think it was, uh, especially for like $8 million or whatever it was, really good addition by the Chiefs there. A very strong player. One of my favorite things about his game is the strength mm-hmm. that he displays. And like you said, a bit of a tweener, but... Punched above his weight, played with more impact than certainly his draft position would indicate. Um, my player as well comes from the 49ers, uh, ends up with Denver. That's right tackle Mike McGlinchey. I think this gives Denver a really solid option, which is important for Russ as well, as we're mm-hmm. trying to see how the Russ reclamation project might be mounted by Sean Payton. I think he realized I need certain things to do this. And one of the things I need is better protection, more consistent protection for us. And through injuries and and having different players in that role, the Broncos haven't had the stability at right tackle that they wanted. Peyton, I don't think going forward with contracts expiring and everything else, had that stability. Went out and paid a pretty penny for a player that I think is, he's in the hall of very good. <laughs> he's, he's not a great player. Uh, he's certainly not a hall of fame player, but he is an incredibly solid player. And he's at the top end of that range, sort of Tickling right under what great is. Very good. And I think he's going to bring Denver a lot of stability. I think that's really important. If we're going to see a rust resurgence, it's a necessary element. Am I allowed to give a, a, a quick shout out to Samaj P. Ryan, by the way? Yes, he can be. A, we love honorable mentions. It's bootleg. Samaj P. Ryan also low-key. Very, very good pickup for Denver, especially because we're not entirely sure uh, what Javanta's timeline is, right? Um but giving them a, a big back, a physical back, somebody who can kind of, you know, carry the load for a little while while Javante gets mixed back in, mixed back in. Wow, man, that whiskey's doing work on me Woo-hoo. early. Um, and not to mention, even even when he is back, they're still probably going to do a, a pretty even split of touches, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I, I think that he's going to play a critical role for them. He's going to take a little bit of pressure off Russ so that, Hopefully, you know, they're converting more third and fours rather than third and eights. Uh, great, great pickup and, and a pretty reasonable dollar value as well. Um, let's get to rookies. This one was really, really hard because there was a lot of great rookies we could have chosen. 
Felix Anadike Ozoma. He's somebody who we both liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Mayer with the Raiders. Again, somebody we're very high on. I would even say that Tuli Tuupolotu with the Chargers and Dayon Henley with Dayon Henley. Wow. Oh, my God. Oof. This stuff works quick. Yes, it does. <laughs> both of them uh, were rookies that we very much liked. And yet, when it came down to you and me to choose which rookie from the AFC West we were most excited about, I went with, of course... The homerish pick that I possibly could, mm-hmm. uh, Quentin Johnston with the Chargers. Even though he's going to be wide receiver three, uh, and even though I myself fully admit that if I was on the clock and I was Tom Telesco, I would have taken Zay Flowers. Seeing the role that QJ is going to play for them, the need that he's going to fill as somebody who can actually do stuff after the catch and make explosive plays and not force Justin Herbert to make crazy, ridiculous throws to get chunks of yardage. Somebody who Justin can throw under 10 yards past the line of scrimmage and still maybe get a 20, 30-yard gain out of it. Um, They sorely, sorely, sorely need that. Pretty much their only yak threat up to this point was Austin Eckler. They need another one, and he is a darn good one. Uh, And potentially, if he could just get more consistent in terms of how he high points the ball and tracks the ball deep down the field, it could potentially be even more than that and maybe a true number one down the line. So... Very, very excited for QJ. Who's yours? One of the things I'll say about QJ and why that's such a good choice is one of the only players on this entire list through the throughout the entire division who is penciled in as a starter. Yeah, which kind of does show the depth of the division, right? That there's a bunch of first-round picks, a bunch of second-round picks, and there's like two maybe that maybe will start early on this year. And he's one of them. Yep. And everybody else, no matter how good they are or how highly drafted they were, are penciled in behind other established veterans and starters. So in terms of path of playing time, QJ's got one of the best in this division. And like you said, there's lots of other players that we liked. Uh, I ended up settling on Tyree Wilson for the Raiders. Again, he's behind Chandler Jones. He's not penciled in as a starter right now. Has some injury concern. It doesn't seem to be too severe. But I'm really leaning on just otherworldly ability in terms of frame and what we've already seen from him uh, at Texas Tech in the pre-draft process. He's a special athlete. He's of a special size. He moves incredibly well. He has production already, but it doesn't feel like he is in any way near topped out. And I think he has a really great situation to be able to sit behind a guy like Chandler Jones, who's been one of the absolute best rushers in the league for the last decade. He can look to the other side, see Max Crosby over there, who is currently one of the top two to three pass rushers in the entire league, learn from those guys, bring heat on the downs that he does earn early on in his tenure and try and work his way to the top of that rotation. But he just has so much ability that I think he is one of those guys that once he gets in that room, starts to get his opportunities, starts to get his feet under him about midseason, he could turn it up and we could see a really good run to the back half and he could potentially push for defensive rookie of the year, not just of the division. I realize I, I forgot to mention the Broncos rookies too that were also in consideration here. Marvin Mims, we both love. Uh, Drew Sanders, you're a huge fan of. Riley Moss, I'm still not entirely sure what position he's going to end up at long term, mm-hmm. but I like the pick. Like, I. All of these teams drafted well. There was like, again, if you go watch the Chiefs episode, there was one pick the Chiefs made where I was kind of like, mm, not not for me, but for everybody else, mm-hmm. they nailed it. They all had really good classes. 
Uh, and that brings us finally to division predictions, where we will pick player of the year or offensive defense player of the year, rookie of the year, all that kind of stuff. But first, we're starting off with the big guns. Division MVP. We know that you know we're picking Patrick Mahomes. So I want to take this part in a little different direction. What are the odds that you give either Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson, or anybody else in the AFC West? If you were going to say Mahomes versus the field, what are the odds that you give the field somehow getting MVP over Mahomes in this division? Short of an injury to Mahomes, short of you know compiled missed time for Patrick Mahomes, almost zero. Mm-hmm. They're just with what he has shown so far in the first five years of his career. I don't think there's a legitimate argument to say anyone in the division, maybe even more so in football, is a better football player than Patrick Mahomes right now. He is a transcendent talent at the height of his powers. If he stays healthy, I would basically call him untouchable. I'm still not even sure we have seen the height of his powers because it feels like every single year since 2018, we've just been waiting for the crest, and I'm not entirely sure we've seen it yet. I'm not. I'm with you. I'm not sure that he is as high as he can go. I I don't feel like he's reached his ceiling. I feel like the level he's at is still above all other players, and he hasn't reached his ceiling. So that means the chasers would have to go twice as fast and theoretically have a higher ceiling. I don't see anybody like that. There's an interesting debate that will form over the next four to five years, if not already starting to form, where people are going to have to start parsing out Hmm. greatest quarterback ever versus best. And we've seen that play out with, you know, MJ and LeBron, right? Yeah. At what point do we get to, okay, Mahomes' career is not the greatest ever because that's Tom for maybe all time. Mm. But at what point do we get to, but Patrick is the best ever? Soon, I would say. Uh, If you look at the first part of his career, which is again now getting into five years of his NFL career, and you stack that up against anybody else's first five years, Uh, as a player, it's already better than all of them. So if he just maintained that pace, forget we just talked about that he could increase it, that he does tend to adapt and build on what he's done in previous years. He continues to grow as a player and add facets to his game. But even if he just sort of held at the current pace, which is a greater pace than anyone else has had ever in their first five years in multiple categories. We're not just talking about passing yards. We're not just talking about touchdowns, wins, Super Bowl wins, like pretty much every category. In the first five years, he's better than everybody. That's a scary proposition. So even if he just maintains, it's quite possible that we'll have that discussion sooner rather than later. If he continues to improve, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's not even sky's the limit. I just don't think there is one. Right. It's you know? his limit. He'll be setting the limit. Uh, that brings us to Offensive Player of the Year. And we're not just going to pick Mahomes twice because no. why would we? No. Uh, but the clear answer for both of us is Justin Herbert. He is a top six quarterback in the league who 
happens to not be the best quarterback in his own division because he shares a division with Patrick Mahomes. But that does not diminish what Herbert is. Herbert is a super weapon in his own right. One of the very few quarterbacks that I think if they went toe-to-toe with Mahomes, even without all the assets around them, and even sometimes Herbert himself has been hurt and had to go toe-to-toe with Mahomes, and you still have a shot because of how good he is. There's, again, maybe five quarterbacks in the league I can say that about, where I'm like, I feel like even though Mahomes gives a competitive advantage at the quarterback position every single week, the competitive advantage is smaller against the Chargers than it would be against like 25 other teams around the league. So uh, I think he's the easy pick for Offensive Player of the Year. I think he's an absolutely incredible quarterback. Definitely made me look like a piece of shit for my pre-draft rate on him. And uh, I'm happy that he did because the NFL's better when there's more good quarterbacks. And he's not just a good one. He's an incredible one. Frustrating ride so far for Justin Herbert because he did in his rookie year. Made that prediction look terrible. Uh, again, set a high early standard that we all just hoped would, you know, be increased upon and maintained because, as you said, the NFL is way better when quarterback play is at a super high level and we get to see sort of exceptional feats every week. And then the cap got put back on. Strangely enough, they said, we think Justin Herbert will be better like he was in college. Than he was in that transcendent rookie year, which was one of the best ever. Specifically referring to the Joe Lombardi offense. Specifically referring to a set of circumstances that did not allow him to perform like he did when he was a rookie, which was eye-opening, record-setting, any adjective you want. I'm, for one, just going to own this and say I am incredibly excited to see him return to that level this year. And if he does, man, ain't it going to be fun. And yes, If that's the case, if that comes to pass, and we hope it does, the margin between he and Mahomes, or if you want to extend it out, the Chargers and the Chiefs, is much more narrow than it has been over the past couple of years. And yeah, the Chiefs, even with Mahomes, will be able to make very fewer mistakes Mm -hmm. in games against the Chargers than they have in the past. They've had a greater margin. That margin is going to shrink. They're going to have to play really good tight football to beat Justin Herbert at the height of his powers with that Chargers team. And that's good. That's fun. That's, that's good football. It's good for the league. It's what we all want to see. Um, you know, every, every superhero needs a good foil, right? If they can just beat everybody, you're not calling Herbert a villain. (laughs) Uh, I don't think he is. I, you know, they need someone that can oppose them that has equal powers because if they're just, Superman and they can wipe everybody out with a glance, then what fun is that? There's there's no story in that. Justin Herbert being unleashed to sort of return to some of those heights he hit as a rookie brings them very much closer to the Chiefs. I'm not willing to say equal to or over, but a lot closer. And that means everybody has to play better football versus the Chargers or they're going to get run over because Justin Herbert, when he is at peak, is not a player you want to hand the ball to on the last drive you should feel very uncomfortable doing that and you've been pretty comfortable doing that for the last couple of years and that's not great moving on to defensive player of the year again bunch of choices in this division yeah could point out chris jones um you know there are some people would have a a wild patrick sertan pick here but ultimately we settled on two different edge rushers 
I myself went with Joey Bosa because if Bosa can just stay healthy, which has been an issue throughout his career, but like you saw it when he was healthy last year before the injuries took hold, you know, his pressure rate was as good as anybody, right? Uh, He was still kicking ass and taking names this far into his career. Um, And I I just want to see a full 17 games from him because if we do get a full 17 games from him, plus with how good uh, a secondary the Chargers have to give him some time to work, and you still got Khalil and you still got Thule, um, you know, hopefully uh, some of the additions they've made on the interior can help out as well. You know, linebacking core is better. Like the structure around Joey is good enough that he could have an absolutely ridiculous year, a career year, even by his standards, and maybe not just be defensive player of the division, but be defensive player of the year. He just has to stay on the field. That's always been the hard part for him. He has that capacity. No doubt in my mind. I still think his brother's better, but that's because his brother might be the best defensive player in the league. You know, I got two top six edge rushers in the whole family. <laughs> 100%. And staying on the field has been the problem. When he's on the field, there is no problem. They're, you know, offenses have to game plan for where he is when he's healthy on the field. And he has all the capacity to hit all the marks you brought up. I'm going to say Max Crosby. Max Crosby is one of my favorite players in the league right now because he keeps improving. He was always really athletically talented. And I think a lot of people, either because of where he played or the round he got drafted in originally, were like, well, he wasn't that good of an athlete. That was never true. He was always incredibly athletically gifted, but he wasn't the football player he is now when he got drafted. Yes. And he has continued to work and to hone his game. And he is now among the elite pass rushers in the league with the Bosa's, with the TJ Watts. He's right up there. He's in that mix. And he continues to push and improve and sort of lead that defense in Las Vegas. And I'm going to vote for him to take another step. That's what this is, is to say he's not just going to rest on his laurels. Just he did get paid, but he doesn't seem like that kind of player at all. He seems like Mahomes. He seems like he's going to keep his foot on the gas. He's going to add new things every year. He is not at all um, complacent in any way. And the the anecdote that I'm going to bring up is that when we were at Shrine Bowl, we got to spend a day at the Raiders practice facility. Mm -hmm. Shrine Bowl teams got to practice in their amazing practice facility out in Henderson. And... To get into that facility, you walk by a whole fleet of garage doors, glass garage doors that can be opened when it's nice that house the weight room. And it was early. We were there at like 8 a.m. Maybe even earlier than that. Yeah. And this was two weeks after I think the season was over for them. It's late January. There's one guy from the Raiders in the weight room when we were all walking by. And it was Max Crosby. And he was the only guy in there. He was getting his workout in. Not making a big show of it. Got his workout done. Got cleaned up. Came out on the field. Talked to a bunch of the players. You know, did his rounds and and headed home. And some other players filtered in after he was there, four or five. Uh, But at, you know, again, we were walking in at like 10 of 8. He was already there. Mid-workout, banging away. And it just goes to show you he's not going to let up. And he's already, I would say, no worse than top five, I'd say top three in the league. Yeah, whatever order you want to do, Nick, Miles, and Max, I don't even think it matters at this point. It's like TJ. Oh, 
Yeah, or T, you know, that's TJ's why, up that's there why I too. say you know five ish because Miles is right up at the top, and we don't we don't need to debate all that. But he's he's right in the very cream of the crop of the edge rushers, right? And he's somewhere in that mix, and he's probably not five. So I'm going to go with him for my defensive player of the year in this division because I'm basically voting for him to just continue taking the steps he's already taken and get even better, even though that's incredibly hard to do. It's amazing they drafted a defensive end at like fourth overall in that same class, and the one they got later on, like four rounds later, ended up being a top five edge. Yep. It's amazing how the draft works sometimes. Draft is a funny place. Uh, offensive rookie of the year, we touched on a little bit earlier. For all the reasons we talked about, we both picked Quentin Johnston. A, he has the path to playing a lot of snaps mm-hmm. relative to a lot of other rookies in this division. Maybe Marvin Mims uh, gets some run in Denver, but even then it's more likely that, that QJ gets more targets and therefore is more productive and kind of gets to show off what he can do a little bit more. Um, I I don't think that's that crazy of a take. No, he's got the path to targets and he has the talent to turn those targets into something special. I think Marvin Mims might, if we're talking about the long term, the next five years or six years, turn out to be a better or more productive overall player. I wouldn't be surprised by that. But within the first two or three years, if if QJF can correct a couple of things and the lid gets taken off Herbert in the way that we expect, I, I don't think anybody catches it. That brings us to defensive rookie of the year, where we both, once again, had different picks for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to go back to the Chiefs give them a little bit more love for that Felix and Adike Ozoma pick. Uh, and I really loved it because he's such a different rusher than we're used to seeing with them. They tend to prioritize more power rushers, you know, the bigger, the stronger guys that don't have a whole lot of bend, um, that have varying levels of burst, uh, to put it uh, diplomatically. Oh, you're being kind today. <laughs> but but definitely don't have like amazing bend or cornering ability. And then feel, all of a sudden Felix comes along and, even though he does have power in his own right. Uh, and, you know, he played a lot of five technique at, at Kansas State just because he does have power. But he can also actually sink his hips and he can flatten around the edge and he can finish a rush and and do a lot of things that we're not used to seeing Chiefs edge rushers do. Like Frank, Frank wasn't like the bendiest guy, but he was pretty much the only one they had that could bend a little bit, you know? Like Karloftis, I love Karloftis, but he's not a bender. He's a... Uh, he's a run through you kind of guy, and Felix gives them a little bit something different, a little bit more, a little bit more finesse, a little bit more flash, uh, and somebody who, given the amount of leads that I expect them to play with, <laughs> yeah. should ideally get a lot of pass rush opportunities. And I think he's a better pass rusher than George was coming out last year. He should be able to convert on those, and it's a great point that. Offense supporting defense. We've talked about that a couple of times in this series so far. And teams that do that exceptionally well, he is going to be playing with a bunch of snaps where he gets to just pin his ears back and go. And in those situations, he's incredibly dangerous because he does have power. He gets to the quarterback in a way that is incredibly efficient. He can flatten his rushes, save a step. And then he has this lunge at the end. He has these big mitts. And I several times throughout the pre-draft process likened that to watching a lion take down a gazelle because he will literally just lean around the tackle and get out, slap the quarterback in the back and drop him with one hand. Fun rusher to watch. I am interested to see what that distribution is in Spag's defense and how often they get him on the field and and what, what rushes he's getting and what percentage of those rushes he's getting. 
I went with Tyree Wilson, was my same pick as the favorite favorite rookie overall for Defensive Player of the Year. Again, he's got two great rushers to teach him in front of him. He's got a defensive coordinator who I think sees in him shades of other big, powerful defensive ends that have been very talented and been able to create a lot of pass rush with just four. Um, I think all those things combined with the natural talents of Tyree Wilson to allow him, if he's healthy, to be the best defensive player in this division as a rookie. He's got length, he's got power, and two guys ahead of him that also have length and power and can teach him how to use it, right? That was like one of the main criticisms of criticisms of Tyree was like, he's not all the way there yet in terms of variety of moves. It's, it's very much, uh, here's a long arm stab because you're not long enough to handle it. And I'm Tyree Wilson. I'm going to fucking maul you, uh, in the NFL tackles also have length that also have power. And if you're going to go beat the Trent Williamses of the world, yeah, got to have a little something extra. Right. So I think Chandler, especially because Chandler has similar length to him is going to teach him not just how to weaponize it, but also how to, build counters and Change build up. pass rush plans off of that, knowing that tackles are going to be planning for his length first and foremost. Because it's when you have that kind of gift, it changes your mentality as a rusher compared to, like, say, Hassan Reddick, who's a lot smaller and has to rush a lot differently with a different type of plan. So uh, it's a great pupil uh, for Chandler Jones to teach there. And that brings us to Coach of the Year. I'm going to cut right to it. Andy Reid. Until further Woo-hoo! notice, doesn't matter. Like when he retires, fine, we'll pick somebody else. But for now, yeah, Andy Reid, coach of the year. Yeah, he gets benefit of the doubt. There isn't, again, any reason to go, quote unquote, against him or Patrick Mahomes in, in these categories that apply to them because they have proven over and over now their ability to adapt, to adjust. These haven't been the same teams or even the same types of chief teams that have won every year, right? There have been major changes. They've overcome them. They've won anyways. That's a mark of a great coach, mark of a great quarterback. Until further notice, this is Andy's. And, of course, as we spoiled earlier, uh, shocker, we're picking Kansas City to win again. We picked them to win last year. A lot of people said we were nuts uh, because of the Ty- uh, the uh, Tyreek trade and that you know they surely were not going to be able to do as much damage without him. And, well, they did even more. They, they won a ring. So, yeah. Until further notice, as long as Pat and Andy are there, Chiefs are winning the division. Still think the Chargers make the playoffs. Yeah. Still think the Broncos might make a push for it. Would not be shocked at all by that. Yeah. Um, it's going to be tough competition to get a six or seven seed in the AFC this year because you still have the entire AFC North that are playoff contenders. You have literally the entire AFC East <laughs> that are playoff contenders. And the AFC South has at least one team that I think might make a push for the seventh seed. I don't think Houston is ready. The Colts are probably a year or two away, but they're exciting. They're going to rip some wins off of these guys. Uh, And Tennessee might make a push for it, but if I had to choose between Denver and Tennessee right now, I'd still still probably take Denver slightly. So we might get three playoff teams out of the AFC West. We might only get one or two, but regardless, division is still going to be very, very entertaining. I think it might be more like we predicted it to be last year, <laughs> this year, and that would be cool. A more even division with more highlights and more fireworks. Uh, obviously, that that happened for KC last year. It happened for the Chargers for about half of the year and the other two teams it just didn't happen for. I think we can 
probably see Denver with a, let's just call it a return to normalcy, right? To, to being a competitive professional football team and whether that works out to be, you know, eight wins, nine wins, 10 wins, if they do really well, uh, remains to be seen. Raiders, a lot of questions at quarterback. We talked about that in the individual episode, but Chargers were hoping for great heights and Chiefs were predicting great heights. Well, that wraps up the AFC West. That brings us to the halfway point officially of this series. We're moving on to the Southern divisions now. NFC South first, then AFC South. Then we're wrapping up uh, with the... With an East Coast swing. Yeah, the the giant monsters and and giant robots over in the East with the NFC East and the AFC East, which is literally just eight playoff contenders back to back to back to back to back. Um, But yes, we're stopping by the South first. NFC South, by the way, way more intriguing than they're giving credit for. Uh, a lot of scrappy teams that have turned over a huge portion of their roster in like a two-month span, uh, looking at you, Atlanta. So we're <laughs> going to get to them next week. Uh, really advise you guys stick around and listen to that because I think that the perception on the NFC and AFC South are very different than reality. Uh, with that, we'll see you guys back here on Monday. And until then, later. <laughs>